0: thing always gets out of tune so rapidly, you just play it a little bit and before you know it, it never happened to you, <laughs> I don't mean with a mandolin, I, I mean with your life. I should know something about music, maybe you, you're aware, uh, speaking of music, great singing by the way, I just have to say, and you should take that as a compliment coming from me, great singing, yeah. Well, you know, you know, you are aware, I wrote over a hundred songs that are published in what is still one of the bestsellers today, <laughs> called the Bible. Book of Psalms, yeah, those are mine. <laughs> yeah, I'd sing a couple for you, but uh, after a couple thousand years, your vocal cords aren't what they used to be. But if it were up to me, honestly, I, I would add a lot more... Uh, timpanis, and timbrels, and lyres, and zithers, and crashing cymbals, <laughs> if I were you, just not telling you what to do, there I go again, giving advice, <laughs> you know, I guess that happens to you after you sit on the throne, uh, wear the crown for uh, 40 years, you uh, get used to telling people what to do, <laughs> but it wasn't always that way for me, I, I started as the low man on the totem pole, you know that, hmm. my father Jesse had 8 sons, 7 of them older, stronger, bigger, Better, more destined to succeed than I. In fact, the family was cruising along quite well before I ever arrived. I'm surprised they didn't name me Oops. <laughs> but they didn't. They, they named me David in my native Hebrew Dawid, which means beloved. And i got to be honest, I didn't get much of that love from my older brothers. But I always knew from the time I was old enough to pick up a shepherd's crook that I was loved by God. And in fact, as a shepherd, right out on those hills, those Judean hills, right outside of Bethlehem, five miles or so from, from here in Jerusalem, I, uh, I felt God's love as I would watch those sheep and depend on God right over there in Bethlehem. You know Bethlehem. You, you think of Bethlehem as the, the city of Jesus. <laughs> but before it was the city of Jesus, it was, of course, the city of David. You've heard it in a thousand Christmas passions. Some kids with a, you know, tin foil wings stands up as an angel and says, Unto you is born this day in the what? City of David. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. But before it was the city of Jesus, it was the city of David. And... It's not only where Jesus got his beginning, it's where my story begins too. My family lived there. I actually lived outside on the outskirts, on the hills where I watched sheep chase cats around, the big cats. <laughs> bears, living off the land, learning how to fend for myself. And that's where I learned to be so close to God on those frightening nights. I had no choice but to depend upon the Lord. I would sing to Him with my my instruments, what I, what I was feeling in my heart. He was my rock. He was my protector. He was my defender. He was my fortress. He, one particularly dark night I sang, You are my light and my salvation. All of those songs are recorded in, in the Psalms. And you know, when God sent angelic messengers to those shepherds, in the Christmas story, you call it, it wasn't the first time God sent messengers to that exact spot because that's what God did to me while I was watching my flocks by night on those same Bethlehem hills as a shepherd. You know when God wants to get your attention and change your story, He sends you a messenger. Hmm? Hmm? Sometimes you get a messenger and it changes your story. (laughs) I was about 16, 15 years old, like a lot of other teenagers, but, well, different because I think I worked harder. I was trying to save up to buy my own donkey. Dad said he would pay half the insurance, so. But other than that, I was uh, just like every other kid. And all of a sudden this messenger arrives from home, all red in the face and breathless, and he says to me, they want you back at the house. You best hurry. Well, when you're out in the sticks and you get a message like that, it's usually not good news. So I did what I could to obediently scurry and penned the sheep away, and I bolted for the house. I, I finished well in front of the messenger. I was in pretty good shape in those days. I don't think he appreciated that. But when I got there, nobody seemed too happy to see me, especially my brothers. They looked ticked, and my father, disappointed, confused. It was only later that I learned what had happened. You might know the story yourself. You see, God had told Samuel, the prophet, you know him? Samuel, it's time for a change of kings. Saul is no longer the man. I want you to go to Bethlehem to the family of one Jesse. And there you will find the next king of Israel. So you can imagine my father. Oh, he was out of his mind. The Holy One, the Anointed One, the King of all Israel would come from his line, one of his boys. Oh, he started barking out orders. Eliab, tuck in your shirt and comb your hair. He lined the boys up by age and thrust Eliab forward before the prophet Samuel. And that made sense because Eliab was everything I was not. He was was strong and tall. He stood above everyone in the family pictures. When Samuel looked at him, he thought to himself, This guy reminds me a lot of King Saul. He'll make a perfect king. But then there was this wonderfully awkward moment. When, at the second everyone expected Samuel to embrace Eliab and kiss his neck and anoint his head with oil as the new king, God told Samuel, He's not the one. Awkwardly, he steps aside and Father Jesse pushes son number two forward, Abinadab. And that made sense because Abinadab was always the smartest. Everybody said he'd go far, valedictorian of his class. You should see his SAT scores. (laughs) Well, they pushed him forward. But God said, not him either. Hmm. And they went to son number three. Shama. Oh, figures, ladies' man. Mr. GQ, we called him. Swag Shamma. <laughs> Sitting there in his skinny jeans and Tom's shoes. Sure. And it made sense because, well, the king should be well thought of. But God said no. And so it went through every one of the boys until my father, Jesse, was so disappointed. He thought, are my sons not strong enough? Are they not smart enough? Are they not handsome enough? What is going to happen to God's story? What of the promise? And that's when the Samuel prophet told words to my father that all of us would do well to remember when he said that God doesn't look at people the same way we do. External appearances and outward look. But God looks... And he cares most about a heart that's in tune. (laughs) From what I can see of things, you all still struggle with this understanding in these days. Hmm? Still confused about where real value lies for yourself and other people. Just judging by the extreme concern you seem to have about the perception of others. The way you look and dress and the cars you drive and the homes you live in and the phones you carry, you you seem so utterly confused and concerned, out of tune, if you will. Listen, it's not whether you're beautiful or ugly, tall or short, fat or skinny, what you learn or what you earn, old or young, those things are not where it's at. Where it's at is what God looks at, and God looks at the heart. So what about you? Hmm? Is your heart in tune? Hmm. Are you shaping your heart after God's own heart? Don't forget that appearances can be so deceiving. Jesus came as a weakling infant. And that day, in my day, The king they chose was the runt of the litter. (laughs) That's right. Me. (laughs) Get this. Samuel says to my father, Do you have any more sons? And dad says, Not really. (laughs) Oh, except for David, that is. Shepherd boy out on the hills. But you don't want him. He's got a cracky voice. He's, He's just a punk. Not king material. And Samuel said, Go get him, we'll wait. And the next thing I know, a red-faced, out-of-breath messenger is standing before me with news. And before I knew it, I was standing with my head lowered before the prophet with oil running down my head, and it felt to me as if the love and blessing of God was washing over me. As I stood before Samuel, as he looked at all of my brothers and then at me, he pointed right to me and said directly David you are the man a blessing God's favor and that's when I more than ever wanted to be the man God was calling me to be to be the man that many of you remember me for a man as the Bible says after God's own heart a man whose heart beat In tune with God and in the rhythm of God's heart so I was the anointed one (laughs) the chosen one of Israel that meant that the story that God had begun through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and all the rest was now going to continue through me through the house and lineage of David of whose kingdom the Bible would come to say there will be no end He would bless me and my family so that we could in turn be a blessing to the whole world. And bless, He did. Bless, He did. (laughs) I became clearly the greatest king in all of Israel by God's doing, not my own. (laughs) A dynasty that lasted 400 years. And it was in a way simple to me. The, The same way I depended on God back in those fields to to help me chase a coyote or to defeat Goliath the giant years later. It was the same dependence I had on God as I I simply trusted Him and loved Him and let my heart sing in tune with His own. (laughs) God gave me a very impressive resume. I'm sure you know. I'm sure you know. But in case you don't, I'll remind you. He allowed me to consolidate a fractured kingdom into one unified body. And we became, in my time, a superpower. <laughs> All those fractured tribes finally brought into one. Wealth. We conquered many, many nations. Everywhere we went, God would bless and we would win in battle. The Edomites, the Jebusites, the Moabites, the Gesundites. <laughs> They were nothing to sneeze at, let me tell you. Just kidding. But God gave us victory everywhere we went. And before long, I was able to establish this palace where I stand now. And Jerusalem became the administrative and the the religious center of, of the world, of our kingdom, anyway. I brought the Ark of the Covenant back here. And I prepared the ground for my son Solomon to build the greatest temple ever. And by the way, this little cracker box you guys hang out in ain't nothing compared to the temple. Now that was a worship center. Israel, you see, we, we were no longer a straggling group of vagabonds scraping for manna off the desert floor. We were the big dogs. We had arrived. We were an empire, a dynasty. Something to be reckoned with. And I was at the helm. I was the master of it all. The king, the man. My popularity—it it soared. You might, you might remember a song from back in the day that they used to sing about me. <laughs> Saul has slain thousands, but David ten thousands, and he is a champion. And you're gonna hear him roar! Whoa, oh, whoa, oh! Whoa, whoa. You might remember it. Still around. That was the high point of the kingdom and the high point of my life. Of His kingdom, they said, there will be no end. (laughs) God changed my story. He took a a shepherd's crook and put a king's scepter in my hand. (laughs) Changed my story from shepherd boy to king. And I began to be a shepherd of people. And a man after God's own heart. That's what I wanted. And sometimes when the pressure got to be great, and it was not an easy job, I'll assure you. I would come up here to the roof. And yes, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> the roof of my very palace where I stand now. And I would, I would worship here with the Lord. I would sing songs and call on Him and listen for His voice. It was a special place, a sacred place, I would say. Almost holy ground but somehow over time I don't know how to describe it exactly somehow over time my heart gradually changed I didn't set out to deliberately stray from God I can't explain exactly when it happened (laughs) but before long I was out of tune Slightly. But not so much that I couldn't still play a chord, you see. So I kept going. Trying to write the story of my own life. I I, I began to put myself on the throne. I I don't mean the throne of Israel. I, I mean on the throne of my own heart. It began to be about me. And those words, you are the man, became something that meant a little different in my heart you're the man all I know is that there was a change in me a change in my values a change in what I thought was important and how I thought about me a change in my story A change in my heart for example I used to come up here and I would look out at the humble fires of the people in the city below and I would thank God for the privilege of serving them (laughs) I, I would I would ask God bless them and thank you f- for humbling me and taking a nobody like me and using me in your service back in the day when my heart beat in tune that's what I did up here but one day I caught myself I, I looked out at those same humble fires and I thought to myself as I looked at the sprawl of the city I did that I built that you ever do that? Look at some gift, some blessing, some calling and begin to give yourself credit. You look at a picture of your children and you say, they're mine. A picture of your house, a report card, your accomplishments and you think, yeah, that's me. I'm the one. Whenever it begins to be about us, we're in trouble. I was in trouble and I didn't even know it. My ear could not hear that I was out of tune. I was too busy ascending to my throne. My heart, which beat after God's own heart, a heart that had been shaped by God's, strayed. And if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. It can happen to anyone. Jeremiah the prophet says the heart is deceitful and wicked. And that if you're not careful before you know it, it'll be out of tune. For me, it happened when I was on top of the world in every way and literally up here on the roof. When God brought me to my lowest point, he sent me a messenger as God always does when he wants to get through to you and change your story. Another messenger this time. Part of me doesn't want to tell you this because I, I would rather have you remember me as the great king of Israel, the giant slayer David, the kingdom consolidator David, the temple preparation king rather than a king with abysmal failure. But. Another part of me wants to tell you. I I need to tell you. I'm eager to tell you because I believe if you understand how God really changed my story, (laughs) some of you may allow Him to change yours. And that would be worth it. Because some of you, maybe you, are living with a heart that you know is not quite fully in tune with God's heart as well. So I will tell you, for that reason, it was spring. It was spring. We were at war. I was about 50 years old. And in many ways it was an ordinary day. I think that's how the tempter works. He, he gets at us in ordinary times when our guard is down, when we least suspect it. Hmm. And I could make a thousand excuses. Oh, I could. Oh, oh, I was exhausted. I'd been up all night looking at battle plans. I, I was under so much stress. Oh, it was terrible. I had a, a couple of generals with insurrection on my hands. I, the, the, the kingdom's coffers were being drained because of the war. I... I I needed a break, I began to feel a little bit sorry for myself, I told myself I I just needed some kind of escape and my wife, I felt was being a jerk at breakfast, feeling a bit sorry for myself and looking for a way to relax, I strode up here to this very banister and I yawned and looked out at the city and then all of a sudden my senses became wide awake because of what I saw. It was a woman, stunningly beautiful woman, bathing on her roof. No way she could have known that someone else was peering in upon her. She thought she was alone. I did too, forgetting that God was with me. And so, I learned that if I leaned... And peered just right. I could, I could see her skin glistening in the morning light. Now, I, 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 I had seen many, many women prance and dance before me to try to win the affections of the king. I assure you, I had learned how to keep my head, but I am ashamed to tell you that day I did not divert my gaze. No, I, I continued to look, and my. My accidental glance became a curious gaze and then an intense stare. And when I made that choice, it changed my life. It changed my story. It it changed my family and their future. It, It was a reflection that my heart had already changed. I forgot that I was not alone. I forgot that the same God who was with me on the hills of Bethlehem as a shepherd boy was with me in that moment. I forgot that what matters most is who you are when you think no one is looking. (laughs) I forgot all of that because all I cared about was me and my kingdom. (sighs) If it were today, you would have looked her up on Facebook. I sent for her. She came to me. And when I closed the door to my bedroom chambers with her, I closed the door of my heart to God. We had an affair. And then. Things got a little bit messy. Turns out she had a name, Bathsheba. She had a husband who knew, Uriah. Turns out he is one of my most loyal soldiers fighting in the very war that I'm directing from this very porch. (laughs) I couldn't let it get the papers. It couldn't go public. So I sent her home. I was deluded enough to think that I could whisk my hands and everything would be fine and it would all go away. And I could get on with writing my story the way I intended it to be written. (laughs) so out of tune that was until she showed up with words that rocked my world I was David the giant slayer but her one sentence dropped me to my knees when she said I'm pregnant well I couldn't let this get out no the cost I thought Mm. would be too great too great I decided to cover it up. <laughs> you know, we always have a choice. When something, when something begins to separate you from God, you always have a choice. You can try to cover it up, and that will lead you away from God. Or you can confess it, which of course will lead you right to God. I chose to cover it up. Not really thinking of it this way, I was running from God. I had to save myself, I said. Nobody must know the cost. <laughs> the cost that I was measuring seemed so great. My mind raced. I had to come up with some kind of a plan. So I decided to bring Uriah here and entertained him, pretended to be interested in the small talk he gave me about the war and then sent him home and said, Have a nice evening with your family, wink, wink, sent him a basket of wine and cheese. But Uriah turned out to be a noble man after God's own heart himself. I learned the next day he had not gone home and slept with his wife. No, instead he had spent the night here at the, at the steps of the palace saying, The ark of God dwells in a tent and my men are on the front lines. How can I take in a night of pleasure with my wife? The irony was striking. The man after God's own heart outdone by a man whose heart was truly in tune. Hmm. That should have been a wake-up call but I, I, I panicked and scrambled for another approach and so I called Uriah back and I got him good and drunk and, and then I sent him home again almost with an order to spend some time with your family and still he did not sleep with his wife and so I, I panicked I scribbled a note And called in my field, General Joab, and handed the note to Joab. And in the note it said, See that Uriah is placed on the front lines of the battle where the fighting is the hottest, if you get my drift. And to show you how blackened my heart had become, I sealed that note and handed it to Uriah so he could hand deliver his own death warrant from his king. It wasn't long before I got word that Uriah was dead and that paved the way for the next chapter of my story to be written, which was the King David marrying Bathsheba, which I did. Have you ever been caught in a snowball of a lie, where one little Misstep. One little portion that's slightly out of tune calls for another and then another and it grows and before long the lie becomes a greater sin and then a greater one and it starts to pick up all kinds of garbage on the way until it's a massive thing out of control and now you're just running for your life so you don't get rolled over by it. (laughs) It started. That massive... Snowball started with one tiny seed of pride. Pride. It was, it was about me. That has nothing to do with being a king. <laughs> it has everything to do with me thinking it was all about me. And so, for the next nine months, I lived a complete lie. I was the greatest hypocrite. In Outside, I was smiling, still playing my songs, leading. But inside, I was a wreck. I was withering up. I was, my, I, the joy of my salvation was gone. It felt as if God's Spirit had left me. I was wasting away. It was in those days I wrote some of the songs you have in your Bible, the laments that tell of the torture, the misery, the living hell I went through, how my body was wasting away and I just longed for some kind of relief. <laughs> it was in those days that God God sent another messenger. Nathan, the prophet You know, not everybody likes prophets because they say what needs to be said rather than what everybody wants to hear. Mm. Sometimes if God wants to change your story, he sends you a messenger. (laughs) Nathan I trusted, I gave him free reign of the palace, he's the only one who could come and go. One day he, he came marching in, David I said I'm on the throne and he came in anyway. We had a good laugh about that one. But I gave Nathan access to me because he asked me good questions. David, do you think this decision will honor God? David, do you think your heart is truly in tune? David, what would the Lord have to say about this? Do you have someone like that in your life? Hmm? Someone who... Knows God, someone who loves you, and knows the truth. If you don't, you're in peril. And that's nobody's fault but your own. For me, it was David. Normally, I welcomed him into my chambers. During those days, I didn't much want to see Nathan. But one day he showed up. <laughs> I was nervous, I'll admit it. He was not in a very small talk sort of mood. David, we must talk, he said. And I followed him as he quickly came up the stairs to this very porch. I thought I had something leaked. I kept a calm collected uh, exterior and he said I must bring a case before you and he began to tell a story of two men and I was relieved and I relaxed a bit because we could talk about someone else you know (laughs) in the case in the case he said uh, it had to do with a rich man who had Many sheep and many cattle and much wealth. And a poor man who had only one little sheep that he loved so much. It was like a daughter to him. And I understood that. He was connecting with my heart because I, I remember how I felt about each of my sheep. I knew all of them by name back in the day. Well, it turns out that this, this man in this case, the wealthy one, had a visitor coming through town and wanted to entertain and treat him well. But instead of using one of his many sheep, he went to to the man who had only one. and, And he took it because he could. And he used it to treat his friend. And when I heard that, I was enraged. It had tapped into the... The deepest part of my righteous anger and my sense of injustice. And I said, I said to Nathan the prophet, that man must pay. I'd been asked many times, pardon or punish? Pardon or punish? This one was a no-brainer. That man must be punished. He must pay. I said to, Na- I said to Nathan the prophet, where is that man's heart? Where is that man's heart? That is when Nathan looked at me. then he pointed right to me and he said, "David, you are that man." And it was up. it was over. it was out. Those words, "You are the man," were the same words that Samuel had said to me 25 years earlier and they had seemed to me like a flood of God's blessing and favor and I was a man after God's own heart and today those same words cut like a knife into the blackness of my own heart and all of the foul bitterness spilled out all over my whole life what had happened to my heart What happened next is the most important part of my story. My story is not ultimately about me being a great king. It's not about me killing a big dumb giant. My story is about the choice I made next. When I turned my heart and I let the tears of repentance soften my heart and turn toward the Lord. Uh, Psalms that I wrote in those days like Psalm 51 should be your prayer too. I cried out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions if there's any way that you can do so, God, by your mercy and grace. I want to be a man after your own heart again. I know that you long for purity in the inward parts, I said. But my heart is now corrupted, tainted, soiled. Hardened and lost. Oh God. Creator God. Creator who created me. Can you create in me a clean heart? Oh God wash me and I will be whiter than snow. If only you will. And in my moment of great failure and pain. God graciously met me with His steadfast love and forgiveness. And He received my heart, my broken, shame-filled heart. (laughs) I wrote Psalm 103 to the most beautiful tune I could up here on this roof, saying how gracious the Lord is, slow to anger, compassionate, and if we will hand it to Him instead of run from Him, he will, he will take our sin and put it as far away from us as the east is from the west. <laughs> God changed my story, not because He made a shepherd boy into a king, but because He made a failure into a forgiven man. Not because He took a shepherd's crook and put a scepter in it. God changed my story because He took my flaw, and he forgave it. Hmm. Oh, my friend, the same gracious God who, who resides on high wants to come near to you now and do the same for you. Because in many ways you're not so unlike me. Can you at least admit that? You're anointed and called by God like I am. And your heart, part of it at least, longs to be in tune with God. You partly long to be close to God. It's why you're here. But you're also like me. Because while you want everyone to think you're a king or queen, you inside are somewhat of a mess sometimes. Out of tune. A heart capable of great evil. Hmm? Friend, there is more grace in God than there is sin in you. And the only thing that stands between you and God is your pride. When you make a mistake, when you sin, when you disappoint the Lord and yourself, your family, the world... You have a choice. You conceal it and you will end up running from God. Writing your own story and ruining your life. Or you can confess it. Which of course will lead you to the Lord to tell Him what He already knows. The Lord looks at the heart. (laughs) Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, because you can't save yourself, who is Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord, your leader. He is the messenger God has sent to you to change your story. How's your heart? Is it out of tune? Give it to the Lord. And if you ask Him to help your heart beat in tune with His, He will. He will.